0: There I was, this week, doing something that I normally never do, getting on the subway in the middle of rush hour here in New York, which I assiduously avoid. I noticed, as I was running from my train, a blind man with a cane, trying to find his way through both this human and architectural obstacle course towards this completely packed rush hour subway. He stood by a rail holding his stick out as people walked by. Can anyone help me? Can anyone help me? Can anyone help me? I was appalled and inspired all at once. As I ran to the man and grabbed him, and he grabbed me firmly, showing me exactly how to hold him, not like this, not with pity, with grace, with dignity. We squeezed our way onto the car And I couldn't stop thinking about his simple act of defiance. I will make my way. I will find my way through the obstacles. I was inspired by his vulnerability and his dependency, his humanity. And I was appalled by how many people didn't see the one who couldn't see. I was appalled by how hard it still is for me and others with all of our technologies to really make our day-to-day living a cathedral for God. I wondered, why don't we have the gift of sight? In this week's Torah reading, Parshat Tazri Mitzorah, the Torah begins with eight small verses, a small section on childbirth and all of the attendant rituals that went with a woman giving birth to either a male child or a female child. And it begins like this. These are the words. Isha ki tazriya When a woman is impregnated. Ki tazriya, the word tazriya zera seed, when she is inseminated. It means, figuratively, when she becomes pregnant. But the hyper literal meaning of ki tazria, Isha Kitazriya, means when a woman produces her own seed. It was an ancient notion of how pregnancy took place, is that a woman would produce a seed that would then be fertilized by the male seed. And picking up on that reading of a woman who produces her own seed, Isha Kitazriya, the rabbis of the Midrash, our sages, our wisdom masters teach an idea that became quite famous. You might actually recognize it, not from Jewish sources or perhaps from Jewish sources. It is called in the language of the Chachamim, of the rabbis, the sages, Du partzufin, two faces. Listen to the Midrash. Amar Rav Bar Nachman, B'Sha'a Shebara Kadosh Adam HaRishon, Androginos when God, the Holy One, Blessed Be, she created the first human, God created that human androgynously. It was an androgynous being. There was that moment where there were two faces, and God created them, and then saw them in half. Nisaro, Nisira, to saw, S-A-W, God saw them in half. This might sound familiar because, in, of course, in Greek mythology, in Plato's Symposia, Aristophanes' his notion that we are made up, we are round beings with faces, right, that we cartwheel around the world, and that the split happens, and as Aristophanes claims, when two people who were separated from each other find each other, they never again want to be separated. We run around the world trying to find the one whose back of the head we shared, two faces looking in the opposite directions. This primal myth expresses three fundamental truths about the way we see the world, or I should say, We don't see the world. Two moments, three moments, where the myth is trying to articulate what it's like now to see the world. The first thing the myth tells us is you can't see everything. You don't have eyes behind your head. There are things you won't see. We miss stuff all the time. There's no way to avoid missing things. Because we have a back now, and because we have a back, human beings, by definition, not because the myth is true, but because this is the human condition, is that we have blind spots. There's stuff that we can't know. There's stuff that even if we wanted to see, we couldn't see. We need rear view mirrors and side view mirrors. We need all kinds of mirrors in order to see the world accurately. And more often than not, of the little bit that we do see, two things happen. This is the second and third truth, the myth tells us. The second truth is not only won't you see most of reality, but the very reality that you will see, you will see in a distorted way. You will see a part of reality, and that part will become a mirror on which you project all of your stuff your unworked-out issues, your yearnings, your desires. so Some of you are familiar with Jungian terminology, your anima, your animus, those parts of yourself that you haven't integrated. We see it out there in the world, out there, but it's just me slapped onto someone else's face. If what is projected onto that person's face is something I didn't like in myself, I won't like it in them. And if something that I project onto the world is something that I wish I could own for myself, but I can't, I will worship what I project into the world. It isn't me. It's out there. In this way, our vision is a potential field where my distortions lead to my own growth if I recognize them and the last truth the myth talks about. Often we, we, we walk right past what God wants me to be open to see. Right there on the subway. Right there on the street. Right there in my home, in front of my dishwasher. In my laundry room. In my office. I see it. It's one of those little pieces. And I see it Clearly. It isn't a distortion in category two. So thank God I see it. And I see it clearly. But I don't want to look at it. I don't want to see that. I don't want to open my heart to it. I want to keep it at an arm's length. It's too much. It hurts too much to see. It will disrupt my plans. I'm on my way. Don't bother me. Don't be there, don't impose on me. Amazingly, these individual blindnesses are, of course, communal too. Communities see very little of themselves, and often that which they see is also projections, and even things that they don't want to look at. A liberal Jewish community might be very proud of its social justice. And the minute somebody says, well, nobody comes to your synagogue on Saturday morning. Well, they're busy. Whole groups, societies, cultures work within these three moments of running after the face, trying to find what it is that we've lost. And so the method for curing that. In the first instance, when I don't even know what I don't know, I don't even know what I don't see, I don't even have an idea, we need each other to act as mirrors behind us, in front of us, to the side of us, inviting information in. You might need to know this, David, but you've been, there's a string attached to your shoe and you've been walking for two miles. We need each other to see reality. We can't do it alone. Two eyes are not enough. And so humility to hear. And what about those things that are distorted? The humility to own. When somebody hands you back a piece of your projection, and you say, Oh, really? Thank you very much. I've been looking for that, gave it to you 10 years ago. (laughs) And the last one, the last blindness, the blindness of indifference, of callousness, of I don't want to see it, that is the most insidious of all and the most difficult one. That one requires sacred activism. That one requires us to have courage enough to cross the threshold. That's what courage is, says poet Mark Nepo. All courage is is threshold crossing. All courage is threshold crossing. And each and every one of us has an infinite number of thresholds every single day on which to play out the work of sacred activism. Each and every one of you here doesn't have to go to Washington necessarily to protest violence, although that's absolutely necessary. Each and every one of us here is required on some level to do our civic duty, but that's not where you should begin. We should begin tonight. Every smile to a stranger, every handshake, every loving glance, Every breath in, every presence, crosses the threshold of indifference to caring. Each and every one of you is a sacred activist for God. Each and every one of you, in your cabs, with your spouses, with your children. We think we do big things in the world, and thank God we do. Thomas Merton once wrote, that running to do big things and hurting small people along the way is like carrying hot coffee through a crowd, trying to get it to somebody who needs coffee. Here you go. <laughs> small acts of loving kindness, small random acts of loving kindness, are courageous and they bring light to a dark world. Every moment, in our lives when we overcome the impulse to get on the crowded train and walk by, right, that blind man. Every moment that we overcome that impulse to shirk back within ourselves, to pull back, to retreat. Every time we overcome that, the world moves towards a good place. More light comes into the world, more light comes into your heart. We tip the scales, and the balance changes. So I bless you. I bless you that to be a real Jew, to be of the seed of Abraham, of Abraham, is to be one who crosses over the thresholds in Ivry. It doesn't have to be big. Make a movement today, tonight. Start small. Each of us stands on that platform, waiting for someone to come along whose arm we can grab and say, follow me. It's this way, and I'll show you.